Hello, I'm Barney Lloydwood, and you're listening to the Climate Bonds Cafe, a show where we bring you all the news around financing the fight against climate change. If you haven't heard of us, Climate Bonds Initiative work with partners in all kinds of sectors to mobilise global capital for climate action, as well as empowering them to instigate positive green changes. The plan here is to sit down once in a while with guests, sip my coffee and let you know all the details. And don't worry, you don't need to be a finance expert to follow along. Today, I'm talking to Director of Technical Development at Climate Bonds, Bridget Boole. She's worked in London, Sydney and Cape Town with an interesting and varied 15-year career in sustainable finance, just over 10 of which have been here at Climate Bonds. If anyone can give me a crash course on how to turn finance greener and spirits higher in the fight against climate change, I think it could be her. Bridget Boole, good morning. Thanks very much for joining me. How are you? Very well, thanks, Bernie. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really good. So you're you're joining me from uh, from sunny Cape Town, as we've we've established uh, off air. I've just realised the only thing I've kind of forgot to tell you is I've we've uh, we've settled on calling this podcast the the Climate Bonds Cafe. I've realised that's really conditional on you having some sort of caffeinated beverage or just something to keep you uh, you energised and caffeinated. So hopefully you've you've had a, a coffee or a tea and you're and you're ready to go. I certainly have. Thanks. Yep, I'm I'm ready to go. I've got my coffee next to me. Perfect. I usually start my day with with an espresso, and then about a couple of days, a couple of hours in, I should say, I'll uh, I'll have another coffee, and that's why I've got this personality now. Um, we'll um, we'll crack on. I mean, the uh, the first thing I'd say is, I guess there's there's hopefully going to be a lot of people listening who are are really interested in kind of climate action in general, but I think the the avenue of of finance is, is maybe a little bit complicated sometimes and, and dare I say it, almost a little bit off-putting if they're not in the actual, you know, the industry, if you like. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about the primary goals of climate bonds and, and what actually is a green bond? Sure, yeah, no problem. So, yeah, I mean, the financial markets are a bit um, inaccessible for a lot of people. And, and that's actually one of the reasons that we've been um, focused so much on the on the financial markets, but particularly the bond markets over the last kind of 10, 12 years. So, um, you know, some of the listeners may know there's been a lot of development in the kind of environmental, social and governance um, investing over the last kind of two two decades or so, um, and a lot of developments happened. But there wasn't very much happening in the bond space. Um, so th- for those of you who are not really that au fait with financial language, you know, a bond is just a loan. So you say, I, I want to borrow some money, and over a period of time you pay it back. Um, and bonds are traded all around the world. Um, bonds are, you know, many companies issue bonds. So by issuing a bond, you're just borrowing money. Um, but you don't borrow money from one person. A bond, you usually borrow money from lots and lots. Uh, so lots of different investors. So that's kind of one of the things that are, makes it different. And so um, about you know, 10, 12 years ago, um, the client bonds was established to have a look at this bond market and particularly to promote this idea that what if um, this loan that you're taking out, this bond, um, was was specifically purposed to finance kind of green things and uh, actions and assets related to climate change and climate solutions in particular. And uh, there'd been a little bit of action around here, a little bit of focus on this. The World Bank had done a little bit. There'd been a few deals, but not a huge amount had happened in the space. And so... Um, and so this I, this concept of a green bond came along that if you were financing 
projects linked to climate change, you can call your bond green. Um, and so we, the, our initial work was really around kind of creating credibility around the market. So if you think about what Fairtrade did um, for tea and other kinds of products, Carb Bonds was trying to do this in the bond space. So really saying, um, if the bond is going to be called green, what does that mean and what kind of rigor and credibility is around that? So we did a lot of that work in the early years. We still do a lot of that now. Um, and a lot of a lot yeah. of the work, particularly in the early on, was right, really around promoting this idea um, about a green bond and that, you know, and that greening this bond market, this huge bond market that people don't really necessarily know is huge. I mean, this um, you know, 90 trillion outstanding. So, you know, it's absolutely massive. And that was why we really wanted to focus on this uh, this bond market. So that's kind of the origin of what we've been doing. But we've branched out a lot since then into various um, other parts of the financial market um, and, uh, and into various other activities. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a moment. But I think it's worth saying that our... Um, our work in promoting this idea of a green bond has that uh, we don't do that much anymore because um, the mark, the green bond market is very big, quite active, and there's been lots of activity in the space. So that part of our work we feel like is done, um, but there's still plenty more work to do in kind of growing the market and, and in creating more credibility to it. Feels like uh, one of those jobs where there'll always be a little bit of work to do, right? But um, just. Um just thinking about the work that you do personally, I mean, dare I say it, you're a, you're a key part of the, the senior kind of leadership team at Climate Bond. Uh, in your role, the Director of Technical Development, tell me a little bit about that, because I mean, it, it seems to be on, on the outside a very kind of all-encompassing role. Yes, I do everything. Uh, no, <laughs> um, so I take care of uh, <laughs> um, some of the the t- more technical side of what we're doing at Climate Bond. So that encompasses um, the first part is the standards, which is kind of part of the origin of our organisation. So what is green, um, and who, who decides that? How do you decide that? So we convene lots of experts on various different topics, and particularly quite um, quite technical topics to decide what is green when it comes to agriculture, when it comes to industry, when it comes to energy, etc. So those standards are kind of core part of what we've been doing for a long time. We've moved on from some of the really easy wins, um, renewable energy and that sort of thing. And right now we're in the much more tricky territory um, around industry, cement, steel um, and chemicals, all of those really hard to abate, difficult sectors. So we're in the middle of those. You've actually touched on on something that, uh, you know, when I was was kind of prepping for this i guess uh for a lot of people on the outside um something that's that's very ingrained here at, at climate bonds and maybe something that's not so familiar outside is this this concept of the climate bond standards so, i mean yeah broadly speaking in terms of certification how do you guys kind of decide who fits the bill yeah it's um it's not easy and some of the um we've done it by uh, sector by sector so going into quite detail um across a range of sectors and we're not finished there's still lots of work to be done um, and we convene various experts um, on that uh, called a technical working group so um, academics um, various people from other um, NGOs or organizations relating to the real technical side of that sector so if it's cement then we'll get experts real technical experts on cement so some of those have climate expertise and, and a lot of them do but it's real kind of technical expertise on the nuts and of what it is to produce cement and how you produce that but we don't tell them what to do so it's really kind of convening role um, 
and uh, and then our role is to take that and then we take it to industry and we workshop it with them to see if it's usable, um, which is also kind of critical part of the work. So is it technically great from a client point of view, climate science? Yes, that looks good. What does the industry say? Is this usable um, in the industry? And uh, and at that point, then it becomes goes into a standard, which then gets approved by our board and goes out to public consultation. Um, and sometimes the public picks up a lot of things that we might have missed and, and that gets inputted too. Sure. And I guess uh, on a more kind of broad level, a really big part of the work uh, that's done behind the scenes centers around this kind of 5 trillion by 2025 target. So it might be something that's familiar if you follow climate bonds on on social media. But I mean, just from, I guess, an insider's view, talk to me about some of the key pillars of this target. And uh, if it's not sort of too uh, much on the spot to ask, how achievable do you think this target is? Yeah, I mean, some of the core pillars of the target in terms of what we've been really aiming to do is broaden the net, as it were. So, you know, rather than just looking at low-hanging fruits, renewable energy and that sort of thing, we still need to finance a huge amount of that. That's That hasn't gone away. We're still looking at that a lot. But this concept that every part of the economy, every sector, every subsector, every activity needs to be part of the decarbonisation journey. So when you think about it from a whole economy level, and that's why we're looking at standards in these hard-to-abate sectors, um, so, you know, that it's inclusive and that every sector and activity has a role to play. Not all those roles will look the same. Some roles will be decarbonizing. So some some industries, some sectors will have to decarbonize what they're doing. And some will have to move away from what they're doing if the decarbonization options aren't actually there for them. So it'll look different across the economy. But that is really critical to the five trillion is that inclusivity, bringing in more sectors, more parts of the economy that are really material to to addressing climate change. In terms of how achievable is it? I mean, the financial markets are huge. The bond markets are huge. So from that perspective, it is achievable. Um, from from the perspective of how many are going to meet these standards and, um, and making this journey, I think the message on that is coming across clearer and clearer. We see a huge number of corporates, sovereigns, um, sub-sovereigns, you know, becoming more engaged in this space, putting together transition plans, etc., that they can use green finance, you know, of which green bonds is one part, to, to finance. So I think it is achievable, um, and particularly there's a huge amount more um, attention being attracted to the space, but there is um, a huge amount more action needed. We, are, we can't stand still for a moment. Yeah, I guess the key thing there is kind of enabling and, and empowering people to to actually kind of believe that that change is is tangible. Yeah. If you if you go on to the you know the climate bonds website, if I was just looking to kind of dip my toes in and see what you guys were were up to, there is an updated graph on the uh, on the website showing the green bond market for 2023 so far. So there's a target of around 2.1 trillion dollars, uh, and it it will regularly update showing how we're how we're doing as it stands. How important for you is it to be transparent about the targets we've set for for better or worse? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, we've always um, we've always set quite strict targets for the the market, and um, we've always had quite a, a laugh and a debate with various organisations along the way. Um, I remember when we set the target at uh, a ten billion. You know, some some organisations laughed at us, or even a hundred billion, and we we that target was quite easily reached. Um, and so I think some of the role of our organization is really kind of pushing the envelope, really pushing the boundaries and, and pushing the ambition. And so that 
that's part of the reason for making those targets transparent. Um, you know, in that we don't issue bonds, we have not a huge amount um, of direct control in influencing those targets, but in our role as the standard setter and, and also in kind of providing information to the market and guidance and that role, um, indirectly we do have an influence on that number. So I think it's important really not necessarily the number itself, but that we're being ambitious and clear about what ambition means. You know, ambitions, ambition isn't incremental. It isn't a tiny bit more than the year before. You know, if we really want to follow the steep trajectory that we need to in order to address um, you know, disastrous climate change, then we really need quite ambitious action. I think that is really the purpose of what we do across the board, whether it's setting targets and numbers, um, whether it's putting ambition around standards um, and, and all the other various things we do. Um, it's really kind of setting that kind of uh, ambition in sight. Yeah, totally. And, and we've, we've kind of touched on the in just really kind of simple terms, that that concept of enabling uh, organisations to to just know that they they have the the ability and the volition to make kind of really prominent green transition. But how much, when if you're looking at kind of almost like banana skins in the standards guide, how prominent is greenwashing when it comes to that? Because from from an outside perspective, it, you know, it can be quite difficult to sometimes to work out. What sort of big companies or uh, or even governments are, you know, they might be making what looks like very promising changes, but I guess for somebody a little bit more in the know, there's there's signs to watch out for that maybe not everything's as it seems there. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely a challenge and and something that um, a lot of different institutions from you know, regulatory institutions uh, as well you know, within the EU, a lot of this is being looked at from a regulatory angle, um, you know, and as well as kind of more voluntary standards around the world. So a lot of different institutions are looking at this issue of greenwashing and trying to kind of understand, you know, is it a huge problem, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think. Um, you could fall. You could put greenwashing into a few categories. I think the first is those who have quite good intentions and really think they're doing quite a good thing, but there's a lack of guidance to give them a sense of that that ambition. So this idea that I said earlier about incremental change not being enough that's kind of critical to our theory of change and how we um, how we go about pushing the market is that incremental changes are not going to be enough. But it is quite deeply ingrained, not just in the financial market, but in society, you know, that a little bit is better than nothing. Um, and and so that kind of, and so there is some greenwashing in that respect, which I wouldn't say is um, devious greenwashing. I would say it's kind of well-intentioned greenwashing where there's a little bit being done and maybe a, a flag waved about that little bit um, and maybe not as much drawn attention drawn to all the rest of the things that's going on. And so I think that's where, um, you know, the, the provision of standards um, can really help uh, for expectations to kind of understand what the market is expecting um, and that that has moved quite a lot beyond you know small incremental changes that might have been acceptable you know 20 years ago we've now moved from that into kind of a land where incremental changes are not enough so I'd say that there is definitely some of that and and certainly the the standards we put together um, try to avoid that um, uh, as much as possible. There's also a type of greenwashing, which 
is more of a um, incomprehensible, I'd like to say, type of greenwashing, where <laughs> there are very technical areas of the economy that I don't understand, you probably don't understand, and a lot of our listeners don't understand. You know, so if we think about, I've had lots of conversations about industrial energy efficiency, or, you know, kind of really specific applications of chemicals, and all of these different things. Now, that is that is difficult, because in those very technical areas, to create, I mean, we're, we're trying as much as we can to create standards to cover all bases, but you can't cover everything. And so you do see quite a lot of bonds. Again, I think falls in the well-intentioned spectrum, but from the other, from the uh, kind of user end, from, from the from the outside perspective, it's very, in, very incomprehensible. I can't tell if it looks good or if it doesn't. Um, and that is where, again, standards can really help but, you know, the very specific applications, sometimes very specific technologies that come up, you see in, in green bonds, um, and it's very difficult to cover everything. So that's where you need kind of much better measurement and metrics um, associated with, with kind of green issuance to really understand not necessarily the technology itself, but what its impact is, what it's actually doing. And I think that can really help. And so standards, again, help in that respect. Um and then I think you get the last one, which is the one people really don't like, is when the kind of more, quote unquote, devious type of greenwashing where someone's trying to highlight a side of their business, which is, you know, maybe doing one good thing and the rest of the business is not, or even worse scenario, um, they're, you know, what they're trying to highlight isn't all that green at all. And that, you know, that does happen. Um, I would say the the uh, the kind of most egregious forms of that are probably um, people know what to look out for, um, and uh, and I think with the the kind of standards um, in the plant bond standard, but also those put together by that ICMA, um, really help to avoid some of that um, you know, kind of really devious greenwash. I would say the other two are more prominent: the kind of incomprehensible greenwash and the um, the well-intentioned greenwash. But I mean, that's still that's still not to say that we don't need to. Um, look to solve all of these issues and we and we and others certainly are um but uh, i wouldn't say the devious one is is as big a problem but um, others might have different opinions to me so i like that as a as a tagline almost you got the the devious greenwashing and the and the well-intentioned <laughs> it, it's really interesting for for me because i um i always associate greenwashing as, as you say as this kind of very conscious uh, effort to, to almost sweep things under the rug or or polish them in a you know in a slightly more positive light, and I think for a lot of people that that's quite interesting. Uh, the idea that it's you know quite often well intentioned, but maybe just a little bit kind of misguided. Um, yeah. But ultimately, kind of missing the mark a little bit. Yeah, and I think like it within particularly in new areas and new kind of deals. So you might have seen, and we won't get too much into the details of sustainability linked transactions, but, you know, this has kind of become, um, you know, the, the next big thing, right, in the market. And whenever there's a new big thing that can be really useful, but also you have to always look at it with a bit of, um, you know, with a degree of scepticism as well. And I think that's a classic area where um, we've seen this is kind of really a bond can be issued the bond itself is not going to finance a wind farm, a solar plant, a anything. It's general finance, so it's just being raised. But the the rates that the company gets vary, so they might get penalised or they might get um, rewarded based on how well they do on sustainability type of targets. And I think this is an area where at the beginning everybody said, oh, this is a great idea, and this is, goes into the well-intentioned 
greenwash where some targets were put together, but the more people started to unpick them, the more people went, well, hold on a minute. I think um, they need to be target much more material areas. So what's really, what are the material impacts of your business and how do we make sure those targets are linked, not to uh, some periphery area, but really kind of the material areas of your business. So I think it's really kind of trying to reframe and tweak and strengthen those targets um, that that uh, people have been looking at doing um, in new areas. So I think that maybe gives you a flavor for there's there's things that are happening and they're, they're good things, but it's reshifting those to make sure they're really material and have quite a, a much bigger impact and that that's what we're measuring. Um, and so that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to move on to kind of a more specific kind of case study. So recently Climate Bonds called for what they called ambitious building decarbonisation measures in Europe. So there was meant to be uh, an MEP vote this week, but that's been moved to from the time of recording, uh, but a couple of weeks from now. Um, Just for you guys uh, in the senior leadership team, what does a successful outcome look like for you? And how do you go about making a contingency plan if things don't go your way, or at least how you'd like them to go? Yeah, I mean, certainly one of our key kind of leaves of change. So, I mean, we, we're looking at, at bond markets, we're creating standards, all of these kind of things. But at Client Bonds, one of our key leaves of change is getting a lot of these standards um, into the kind of policymaking sphere. So once something becomes a law or a policy or a directive even, that is when we see really big change happening. So you can tweak tweak around the edges um, with you know with corporates and with changes there, and that really helps. But really big change happens when things go into policy. I think that's probably uh, obvious to everybody. So that's kind of a really key part of what we do. And so the the vote around buildings, and I won't get into the technicalities of buildings. It's very easy to go down a buildings rabbit hole, and I do like talking about buildings. <laughs> but is it basically to strengthen <laughs> Europe's approach on buildings? Right to say, um, you know, whatever minimum performance standards are expected, particularly of renovation. So if we think about a place like Europe, lots and lots and lots of old buildings. Old buildings tend to be leaky sieves. You know, not particularly great for their climate. So what? How are these renovated? And that's what the legislation was targeting um the this kind of well part of the legislation was targeting the renovation of the, the old buildings um and so you know a really key outcome for us is influencing um as much as possible to make this legislation stronger and and that is that's something that we do um as far as we can all around the world but particularly in europe where the your policy levers are quite strong and the, and and there's a lot of um high level impetus and motivation to change you know there's very strong targets at the eu level so um when that doesn't happen and when things don't go to plan which is almost always the case when it comes to policy making it will happen (laughs) yeah i can imagine politics you know have you ever heard of politics uh going smoothly almost never um within the eu there are 27 member states everybody has a vote everybody has a say at the table that's an important part of democracy but it's very difficult to get uh legislation changed uh, as well so, you know, when it comes, when things don't go our way, um, we try to um, be that kind of fallback. So, you know, when standards are weakened, our standards remain kind of what we like to think of the science-based standards. So if investors are targeting kind of science-based pathways to net zero, then use our standards and don't rely just on the law. See the the kind of the regulations as your, um, as a, a kind of nice uh 
nice standard, but that is not the minimum we should be aiming towards. It's a fallback. So, you know, really using our standards as that uh, science-based approach. And so that's what we've really tried to do as far as possible influence um, regulations to make them more science-based and where not possible, then that's kind of where we act as a fallback. Sure. And I guess just, uh, you know, a really prominent part of what you guys do is proactively seeking out kind of partnerships from from key external stakeholders so it could be MEPs I'm thinking it could be could be entire sectors really you know there's there's a really kind of wide net in terms of outside people you'll try and work with but is there a lot of risk in that now I'm thinking from the point of view of you know it's a very volatile world without getting too philosophical it's very polarized currently how challenging is it to promote sustainable finance to all markets so from the emerging markets to some of the more developed ones. Yeah, I mean, there is, it is challenging, and um, which is why our kind of our relationships um, have have been quite broad, and it really depends. Um, where we, uh, you know, at what level we target relationships depends on where we are. So, you know, within the EU, a lot of our work has been with the Commission, you know, being on the platform for sustainable finance, which was, you know, instrumental in the development of the taxonomy. You know, that has been a lot of our relationships, a lot of our work has been at that kind of policy level. Um, But within other countries where the likelihood of strong climate action from a policy perspective are not as high, that has been less the case. So, you know, and and that kind of varies across the board. So in some emerging markets, we... um, we are really target. We are really focused on um, on various players. So sometimes monetary authorities. So that, that can be more of a um, a regulatory base. So it really just depends on where we are in Australia. The uh, things are a bit different now, but for the the last kind of the, the last series of governments have not been very strong on climate action. So our main relationship building has been in the private sector with the banks and others who are looking at strong climate action kind of in spite of, of a lack of guidance from the top. So it really just depends on what the political climate is and what's happening within. We always would like to um, be involved in the politics if we can, um, as we believe that to be a core lever. But if that's not likely, then we, you know, we find other partners who kind of share our, our vision and, the, and what we're doing as well. I mean, politically, I'm never going to name names for for obvious reasons. But I mean, could in theory somebody come in and and uh, effectively undo months of really really good work you guys have been doing behind the scenes in 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 an instant, really? It can happen. Yeah, <laughs> it can always happen. But I mean, in a lot of places, you know, uh, the difficulty with which it takes to change a regulation for the good is the same for the bad. You know, so so sometimes you need a number of votes to change something, whether that's whichever way you're changing it to make it weaker or stronger. So that is obviously the, yeah. the plus side of a democracy. But yes, in, in, in other circumstances, when you're not talking about a change to a regulation, when you're talking about, um, you know, the very existence of a taxonomy, for example, you know, some at, at a, at a centralised government level, that has not been um, something that certain governments want to undertake. And, uh, and and so that hasn't happened. And so, yes, that it definitely can happen, although um, in a lot of democracies there are some jex- checks and balances to make sure there it just things aren't completely unraveled <laughs> yeah absolutely well i'm conscious of the time but i, I really want to carve out a little bit of time just to talk about you personally I'm, I'm conscious this is probably the first of of many calls you have in a day with with frankly more important people than me yeah. uh, but just moving on to you uh, per- personally <laughs> um you've you've worked in a number of roles that both here at climate bonds as, as well as 
just generally in the sort of sustainable finance area. Have you noticed any kind of recurring consistent challenges in your work or has it been very much different branches of the same tree? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I've been I've seen quite a lot of evolution over the over the last um few kind of two decades really in in kind of interest and and rhetoric i think there's been a lot more um you know we've all seen you know a huge number of targets lots of companies have transition plans in place there's lots of you know at a government level plenty of you know more target setting ndcs etc so we've seen various iterations of that and that's been broadly positive so we've seen a huge amount of growth and interest and i think um quite a genuine recognition that you know things need to be done um and that change needs to happen but it is slow you know while the the kind of glossy reports are there and the nice shiny targets are there there ha- you know th- to actually make things happen on the ground has been you know challenging for for a no- number of different uh, reasons and and always slower than you you know you would hope and so i think that's um kind of why we end up at this critical juncture that we are now where while actions have been taken over the last kind of 20, 30 years, uh, the problem's only gotten bigger. And so, you know, in that sense, we, we've kind of we've fallen behind and we continue to slip behind by slow action. So I think that that the pace of action, um, while, while quickening, is still, you know, is still quite slow compared to what you want to be. And part of that problem is is kind of finance, which is where we come in. You know, the, the changes are often expensive. Um, they're difficult to finance. They're risky, et cetera. Not, not always. I mean, a lot of, we've seen a lot of changes, you know, price of renewable energy, for example, has been a huge change that's come about where, you know, it's now cheaper than, for, uh, for new renewable energy, cheaper than most sources of fossil fuels. So there's a lot of change, but there are also, you know, finance is a key lever to, to try and, um, that we have to kind of get right to to finance all the, the changes that need to come. So yeah, I think that's uh, you know, probably quite a broad one, but that's something that I've that have, we've been working on a lot over the last twenty years, and we're seeing changes. But uh, you know, we're we're always a bit impatient at client bonds. Sean always says, "Don't you can't walk, you have to run." And so I think um, sometimes that can be frustrating. I I almost hesitate to ask you this, but I whenever I'm chatting to to anyone like you, Sean, Claire, I I also want to ask, what keeps you so optimistic? Because in your time, you must have had all sorts of scenarios where you've taken quite a big gulp and a deep breath and thought, almost like, what am I doing? It's, it, what, what keeps you carrying on with, with what you're doing in, in when there's so many kind of peaks and troughs? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, well, so, some days, you know, you definitely feel those troughs. But for me, it's always been an incredible privilege that my day-to-day work, I actually try to get to be a part of, you know, forming some of the solutions and some of the thinking behind that. So I think that for me keeps me going is that, you know, while for a lot of people, climate change is a big problem in that, that you for most people lack agency to actually do something. So, you know, you can recycle things and switch off your lights and all of that. But for most people, they realize it's a kind of drop in the ocean. Um, And I think for me, it's a kind of great privilege to feel like every day I get to be part of, um, you know, doing something about it. And sometimes it's fairly indirect. Sometimes things don't happen immediately. Um, And, you know, obviously there's lots of frustrations along the way. But um, I think that for me, I'll never get away from that feeling that that is a huge privilege that I have and that we all have a client wants to kind of be a part of that that change um and you know each day so um we'll I, I always I definitely hold on to that and hope that um that it, that kind of realize that change kind of realizes and through some of the work that we do and others as well that we partner with
And you, you mentioned it yourself, but I mean, when it comes to watching your carbon footprint on an individual level, now this isn't the part of the show where I go through your recycling, um, but there has been a kind of an interesting divide in approach where, you know, sustainable living is becoming more prominent, but there is also a, a growing realisation, as you touch upon, that the real change has to come from governments, corporations, you know, the people yeah. with the real macro power. How do you kind of push sustainable living from a financial point of view? Because, I mean, at least in, in Europe at a time of a, a cost of living crisis, you'll know that the greenest option is is rarely the cheapest. Yeah, um, I think it's it's really challenging. I mean, we've definitely um, I, I've had many dis- discussions and debates about, you know, what the real levers are. And, and certainly, you know, re- <laughs> reusable coffee cups are not going to change the world. And, and the, the kind of nice lifestyle um, Instagram shots that you see of people using reusable life, uh, coffee cups and saving the world do um, make, make my blood boil a bit. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, but I think... Um, yeah, and I think that's why a lot of our work with government is really important. So, you know, we, you can see huge changes happening very quickly with quite small levers. So, you know, procurement is a, is a big one where where government starts to procure something, say, let's say, talk about green steel or green hydrogen or something like that, in bulk, the prices go down hugely. Um, and we've seen that with renewable energy. We know that, you know, Germany had policies in place to um, bring to to roll out solar and the costs came down hugely you know coupled with changes in china around production etc cetera, etc cetera. but these and that's why we're kind of quite keen on targeting the kind of high level changes is because they do bring down the cost and so we know that those you know we have that the ability to do that um across the board it's just that you know these changes need to happen and so um and so I think that's uh, that's something that we are quite focused on. Um, and I know we've also certainly seen that it might not be the cheapest in the short term, but sometimes in the long term um, it can be, you know, various efficiency changes, for example, to homes, which are difficult to finance in the short term. But once they're financed, they obviously save you a huge money, amount of money in the long term. So if you think about from an individual level and what the solution there is, you know, much cheaper and easier financing for um, individuals to be able to, finance these changes that are going to kind of help their pockets in the long term. So those are kind of some of the things that we're um, we're really trying to focus on is is changing those dynamics. And we call it tilting the playing field for green. So, so, you know, so really preferencing and incentivizing um, green to be to be made cheaper and then things take over on themselves, you know, like we saw in the solar markets and, you know, initially, Feeding tariffs were a necessary part of the market to make it needed for uh, for the you know, for rooftop solar. And after a while, that wasn't necessary anymore because the market kind of took you know the prices came down to that point. So, so that's something we um, try to work on as well. Bridget, I, I hope it's uh, it's not too kind of blowing smoke uh, to say I, I really could talk yeah. to you all day about this uh genuinely but uh we're uh, we're just sort of getting to uh, to the realm of of out of time but just really quickly i um if you could just give me a give me an overview of what the the near future looks like for you and the senior leadership team at uh, climate bonds yeah i mean a lot of our um work is on kind of scaling up um you know the next the next kind of phase of the green bond market so that requires a lot of credibility and thinking about transition it, involves a lot of tricky work with a, with difficult and technical sectors, it involves a lot of kind of government and policy work on trying to 
use all these different policy levers that we have to de-risk and, and, um, and bring prices down. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, kind of a, a small flavor and, and, you know, obviously bringing in the, the green definitions, which is kind of taxonomy and standards um, as a really kind of key pillar to support all of that. So these, these are something, some of the things I'm working on with my teams and you'll see um, a lot more over the, over the coming uh, years and uh, months as well. Bridget Bull, thank you so much for joining me, really. That was, that was great. Thanks, Barney. That was Bridget Bull with a really fascinating insight into the expansion of the certification strategy and an eye-opening context of daily life for some of the key decision makers at Climate Bonds. It's important to have conversations like this, especially as the subject of climate change can be quite unsettling for a lot of people, and finance can seem too dense a subject if it's not your field. But I thought Bridget covered both in an accessible and enlightening way, particularly on the subject of greenwashing, not necessarily always being this covert, deliberate act. Just remember not to show off your reusable coffee cup too much if you do meet Bridget. Don't forget to tune in to Climate Bonds on Spotify, where we'll be bringing you updates from all over the world with all the changes in the markets. We're also available on Twitter and LinkedIn at Climate Bonds, or come to our website to see more of what we do. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.